the Bible, the most unique book in all of human history. It claims to be divine in origin, and it delivers a message that, if true, affects every human being on the planet Earth, in this life, and in whatever awaits us when this life is over. The Bible is unique in its survival. Over the past 2,000 years, no other book has been subjected to the intense scrutiny that the Bible has endured. Generations of linguists, historians, and archaeologists have explored the details of the Bible's production and tested the accuracy of its transmission to us today. Critics and foes have come and gone. Problems have been raised and solved, and still the Bible stands. Totally alone in the degree of its historical accuracy and reliability, The Bible is also unique in foretelling future events. The Old Testament alone contains over 2,000 specific predictions about people, cities, nations, and empires. Predictions made hundreds of years before being perfectly fulfilled in history. The Bible is unique in its influence. It's been called the fountainhead of Western civilization and is by far the most quoted text in America's founding documents. Millions of men, women, and children from every station and walk of life have felt the liberating, redeeming power of this book of books, and their changed lives have changed the world and the course of history. The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar is your opportunity to hear this unique book, the entire Bible, every year. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Soapy Dollar. Welcome aboard, everyone. Thanks for joining us tonight for the Bible Live broadcast. We're going to continue our way through the book of Exodus and right on into the book of Leviticus. That's our particular reading schedule. We read Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus, and then we go and read the Gospel of Matthew. Just in time for Christmas, we'll be turning to the first of the four Gospels in the New Testament. We'll be reading about the birth of the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, and his life and ministry. But right now, as I said, we'll be continuing our way through the final reading of the book of Exodus, picking up in chapter 38 tonight, going right on into the book of Leviticus. In just a moment, we're going to get to our readings from the Psalms. Psalm 22 carries us from great suffering to great joy. David, the author, believes that God would lead him out of despair, and he looked forward to a future day when God would rule over the entire earth. Now, this is what is called a messianic psalm, one that spoke of the coming Messiah, this descendant of David that would bring order, prosperity, that would bring blessing. David, in this psalm, gives an amazing, accurate description of the suffering of the Messiah. This description had endured hundreds of years and was fulfilled later in the life of Jesus the Messiah. You'll see how perfectly he describes death on a cross. But he also predicts victory, the new life. I think we'll go right on now to our Wisdom and Worship segment from the Psalms and the Proverbs tonight on the Bible line. Psalm 22, verses 1 through 10. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why do you remain so distant? Why do you ignore my cries for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night you hear my voice, but I find no relief. Yet... You are holy. The praises of Israel surround your throne. Our ancestors trusted in you, and you rescued them. You heard their cries for help and saved them. They put their trust in you 
and were never disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man. I am scorned and despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads, saying, Is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. Yet you brought me safely from my mother's womb and led me to trust you when I was a nursing infant. I was thrust upon you at my birth. You have been my God from the moment I was born. End of reading, Psalm 22, verses 1 through 10. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. David felt rejected and he felt abandoned, but he believed, in spite of all of that, that God would lead him out of despair. He also celebrated the time when the knowledge of God would be around the earth. This is what is called a messianic psalm because it was understood to have messianic implications. The Jews for many, many centuries knew and understood that the Old Testament spoke of a Messiah, a deliverer. There were two understandings of the Messiah. One was a conquering hero, a conquering warrior who would bring peace by his power. The other was a servant who would suffer on our behalf, who would carry our sins. They had these two pictures of the Messiah. They opted for the first picture. They did not know what to do with the second one. And, of course, they are both true. The suffering servant came, he made atonement for our sins, and after this age of the church, the time when the gospel expands around the world, he'll come again as a conquering hero. Well, now let's go to the book of Exodus. We'll finish it up tonight with the final details of the construction of the tabernacle and a final admonition from Moses. Exodus 38.21 through Leviticus 1.17 Exodus 38 Here is an inventory of the materials used in building the tabernacle of the covenant. Moses directed the Levites to compile the figures, and Ithamar, son of Aaron, the priest, served as recorder. Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, was in charge of the whole project, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. He was assisted by Oholiab, son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, a craftsman expert at engraving, designing, and embroidering blue, purple, and scarlet yarn on fine linen cloth. The people brought gifts of gold totaling about 2,200 pounds, all of which was used throughout the tabernacle. The amount of silver that was given was about 7,545 pounds. It came from the tax of one-fifth of an ounce of silver collected from each of those registered in the census. This included all the men who were 20 years old or older, 603,550 in all. The 100 bases for the frames of the sanctuary walls and for the posts supporting the inner curtain required 7,500 pounds of silver, about 75 pounds for each base. The rest of the silver, about 45 pounds, was used to make the rods and hooks and to overlay the tops of the posts. The people also brought 5,310 pounds of bronze, which was used for casting the bases for the posts at the entrance to the tabernacle and for the bronze altar with its bronze grating and altar utensils. Bronze was also used to make the bases for the posts that supported the curtains around the courtyard, the bases for the curtain at the entrance of the courtyard, and all the tent pegs used to hold the curtains of the courtyard in place. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Exodus 39. For the priests, the craftsmen made beautiful garments of blue, purple, and scarlet cloth, clothing to be worn while ministering in the holy place. This same cloth was used for Aaron's sacred garments, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. 
The ephod was made from fine linen cloth and embroidered with gold thread in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. A skilled craftsman made gold thread by beating gold into thin sheets and cutting it into fine strips. He then embroidered it into the linen with the blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. They made two shoulder pieces for the ephod, which were attached to its corners so it could be tied down. They also made an elaborate woven sash of the same materials, fine linen cloth, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and gold thread, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. The two onyx stones attached to the shoulder pieces of the ephod were set in gold filigree. The stones were engraved with the names of the tribes of Israel, just as initials are engraved on a seal. These stones served as reminders to the Lord concerning the people of Israel. All this was done just as the Lord had commanded Moses. The chest piece was made in the same style as the ephod, crafted from fine linen cloth and embroidered with gold thread and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. It was doubled over to form a pouch, nine inches square. Four rows of gemstones were set across it. In the first row were a red carnelian, a chrysolite, and an emerald. In the second row were a turquoise, a sapphire, and a white moonstone. In the third row were a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. In the fourth row were a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. Each of these gemstones was set in gold. The stones were engraved like a seal, each with the name of one of the twelve tribes of Israel. To attach the chest piece to the ephod, they made braided cords of pure gold. They also made two gold rings and attached them to the top corners of the chest piece. The two gold cords were put through the gold rings on the chest piece, and the ends of the cords were tied to the gold settings on the shoulder pieces of the ephod. Two more gold rings were attached to the lower inside corners of the chest piece next to the ephod. Then two gold rings were attached to the ephod near the sash. Blue cords were used to attach the bottom rings of the chest piece to the rings on the ephod. In this way, the chest piece was held securely to the ephod above the beautiful sash. All this was done just as the Lord had commanded Moses. The robe of the ephod was woven entirely of blue yarn, with an opening for Aaron's head in the middle of it. The edge of this opening was reinforced with a woven collar so it would not tear. Pomegranates were attached to the bottom edge of the robe. These were finely crafted of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. Bells of pure gold were placed between the pomegranates along the hem of the robe, with bells and pomegranates alternating all around the hem. This robe was to be worn when Aaron ministered to the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Tunics were then made for Aaron and his sons from fine linen cloth. The turban, the headdresses, and the underclothes were all made of this fine linen. The sashes were made of fine linen cloth and embroidered with blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Finally, they made the sacred medallion of pure gold to be worn on the front of the turban. Using the techniques of an engraver, they inscribed it with these words, Set apart as holy to the Lord. This medallion was tied to the turban with a blue cord, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And so at last the tabernacle was finished. The Israelites had done everything just as the Lord had commanded Moses, and they brought the entire tabernacle to Moses, the sacred tent with all its furnishings, the clasps, frames, crossbars, posts, and bases, the layers of tanned ramskins and fine goatskin leather, the inner curtain that enclosed the most holy place, the Ark of the Covenant and its carrying poles. The Ark's cover, the place of atonement, the table and all its utensils, the bread of the presence, the gold lampstand and its accessories, the lamp cups and the oil for lighting, the gold altar, the anointing oil, the fragrant incense, the curtain for the entrance of the sacred tent, the bronze altar, the bronze grating, its poles and utensils, the large wash basin and its pedestal, the curtains for the walls of the courtyard and the posts and bases holding them up, the curtain at the courtyard entrance, the cords and tent pegs, 
all the articles used in the operation of the tabernacle, the beautifully crafted garments to be worn while ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest, and for his sons to wear while on duty. So the people of Israel followed all of the Lord's instructions to Moses. Moses inspected all their work and blessed them because it had been done as the Lord had commanded them. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Exodus 40. The Lord now said to Moses, Set up the tabernacle on the first day of the new year. Place the Ark of the Covenant inside and install the inner curtain to enclose the Ark within the most holy place. Then bring in the table and arrange the utensils on it. And bring in the lampstand and set up the lamps. Place the incense altar just outside the inner curtain opposite the Ark of the Covenant. Set up the curtain made for the entrance of the tabernacle. Place the altar of burnt offering in front of the tabernacle entrance. Set the large wash basin between the tabernacle and the altar and fill it with water. Then set up the courtyard around the outside of the tent and hang the curtain for the courtyard entrance. Take the anointing oil and sprinkle it on the tabernacle and on all its furnishings to make them holy. Sprinkle the anointing oil on the altar of burnt offering and its utensils, sanctifying them. Then the altar will become most holy. Next, anoint the large wash basin and its pedestal to make them holy. Bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tabernacle and wash them with water. Clothe Aaron with the holy garments and anoint him, setting him apart to serve me as a priest. Then bring his sons and dress them in their tunics. Anoint them as you did their fathers, so they may serve me as priests. With this anointing, Aaron's descendants are set apart for the priesthood forever, from generation to generation. Moses proceeded to do everything as the Lord had commanded him. So the tabernacle was set up on the first day of the new year. Moses put it together by setting its frames into their bases and attaching the crossbars and raising the posts. Then he spread the coverings over the tabernacle framework and put on the roof layers, just as the Lord had commanded him. He placed inside the ark the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, and then he attached the ark's carrying poles. He also set the ark's cover, the place of atonement, on top of it. Then he brought the Ark of the Covenant into the tabernacle and set up the inner curtain to shield it from view, just as the Lord had commanded. Next, he placed the table in the tabernacle along the north side of the holy place, just outside the inner curtain. And he arranged the bread of the presence on the table that stands before the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded. He set the lampstand in the tabernacle across from the table on the south side of the holy place. Then he set up the lamps in the Lord's presence, just as the Lord had commanded. He also placed the incense altar in the tabernacle, in the holy place in front of the inner curtain. On it he burned the fragrant incense made from sweet spices, just as the Lord had commanded. He attached the curtain at the entrance of the tabernacle, and he placed the altar of burnt offerings near the tabernacle entrance. On it he offered a burnt offering and a grain offering, just as the Lord had commanded. Next he placed the large wash basin between the tabernacle and the altar. He filled it with water so the priests could use it to wash themselves. Moses and Aaron and Aaron's sons washed their hands and feet in the basin. Whenever they walked past the altar to enter the tabernacle, they were to stop and wash, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he hung the curtains, forming the courtyard around the tabernacle and the altar, and he set up the curtain at the entrance of the courtyard. So at last Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle, and the glorious presence of the Lord filled it. Moses was no longer able to enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it, and the tabernacle was filled with the awesome glory of the Lord. Now, whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle and moved, the people of Israel would set out on their journey, following it. But if the cloud stayed, they would stay until it moved again. 
the cloud of the Lord rested on the tabernacle during the day, and at night there was fire in the cloud so all the people of Israel could see it. This continued throughout all their journeys. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. The Book of Leviticus. Leviticus 1. The Lord called to Moses from the tabernacle and said to him, Give the following instructions to the Israelites. Whenever you present offerings to the Lord, you must bring animals from your flocks and herds. If your sacrifice for a whole burnt offering is from the herd, bring a bull with no physical defects to the entrance of the tabernacle so it will be accepted by the Lord. Lay your hand on its head so the Lord will accept it as your substitute, thus making atonement for you. Then slaughter the animal in the Lord's presence, and Aaron's sons, the priests, will present the blood by sprinkling it against the sides of the altar that stands in front of the tabernacle. When the animal has been skinned and cut into pieces, the sons of Aaron, the priest, will build a wood fire on the altar. Aaron's sons will then put the pieces of the animal, including its head and fat, on the wood fire, but the internal organs and legs must first be washed with water. Then the priest will burn the entire sacrifice on the altar. It is a whole burnt offering made by fire, very pleasing to the Lord. If your sacrifice for a whole burnt offering is from the flock, bring a male sheep or goat with no physical defects. Slaughter the animal on the north side of the altar in the Lord's presence. Aaron's sons, the priests, will sprinkle its blood against the sides of the altar. Then you must cut the animal in pieces, and the priest will lay the pieces of the sacrifice, including the head and fat, on top of the wood fire on the altar. The internal organs and legs must first be washed with water. Then the priest will burn the entire sacrifice on the altar. It is a whole burnt offering made by fire, very pleasing to the Lord. If you bring a bird as a burnt offering to the Lord, choose either a turtle dove or a young pigeon. The priest will take the bird to the altar, twist off its head, and burn the head on the altar. He must then let its blood drain out against the sides of the altar. The priest must remove the crop and the feathers and throw them to the east side of the altar among the ashes. Then, grasping the bird by its wings, the priest will tear the bird apart, though not completely. Then he will burn it on top of the wood fire on the altar. It is a whole burnt offering made by fire, very pleasing to the Lord. End of reading, Exodus 38:21 through Leviticus 1:17. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Hi, this is Roy Butler, Soapy's engineer for The Bible Live broadcast. Every week we get messages from our listeners, calls, letters, and emails. We just had to share these words from Billy Dean. Soapy, I would just like to say thank you for taking this project on and for producing this wonderfully recorded Word of God. Your reading of the Bible is moving and powerful and yet so soothing. I love it. Billy, how have the Bible Live CDs benefited you personally? I've had difficulty in the past finding time to read more than just a few scriptures each day. Now that I have the set of the Bible Live CDs, I'm amazed at how much scripture I can get. It's so convenient. I can go straight through or, or listen to specific portions for our Bible study. Soapy tells me you and your husband have given the Bible Live CDs as gifts. What have others thought about the CDs? Not only is the quality exceptional, but the price is too. The entire Bible for only $100, and that is tax deductible. I've bought several sets now and given them as gifts. 
with age, reading becomes so much more difficult. So I gave a set to an older couple who are going through a very difficult time, and they loved it. Their house is being filled with scripture now. I gave another set to my mother and father-in-law for Christmas. I wish you could have seen their faces. They were so excited to receive this gift. What a blessing it is to share the word. They were so thankful. Finally, Billy, as you know, Soapy is now developing funding to take the Bible Life to other cities across Texas and the U.S. Would you encourage our other listeners to help out by ordering their own Bible Life CD set? I am beyond delighted with my set of Bible Life CDs, and I know you or someone you know would be blessed by giving or receiving this wonderful gift of God's Word. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website, www.thebiblelive.com, or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Uh, Thank you, Roy, for letting our listeners know a little bit more about the Bible Live broadcast. We need your partnership, and maybe it would be something you would like to invest in and help so many others who benefit by being able to hear the Scriptures. We've read the entire book of Exodus now. We've seen the people come out of Egypt, take that two-month journey to the base of Mount Sinai. Over two million people wander here to Mount Sinai, and they'll spend two years camped here at the base of Mount Sinai, receiving the laws that will govern them and guide them as a people, the Ten Commandments. All of that is being learned here as they camp here at the base of Mount Sinai. They understand that they are made in God's image, created to have a close personal relationship with him, and they understand that they are a covenant people, that this is historically the God of their ancestors, and that they have a special covenant relationship with God, that he will guide them, protect them, and provide for them as they yield to him and follow and trust and obey their God. All of this is being taught to them. They have national festivals that remind them of these great truths. As we move from Exodus into Leviticus, the focus changes slightly. The focus of the book of Exodus is redemption, coming out of bondage into freedom. When we think about the theological concept of salvation, or soteriology as it's called, we find that there is an aspect of salvation that is coming out of sin. We are delivered from the consequences of sin when we place our faith and trust in Jesus the Messiah. We are forgiven and cleansed. But then there comes a time as well when we need to start walking and living and experiencing this new life, this salvation that God has given us. Now, in the book of Exodus, the focus was on their deliverance, their redemption from bondage to Egypt, as we think of our deliverance from bondage to sin. We are forgiven and cleansed. Remember the blood that was painted over the door sills, and the angel of death passed over the people of Israel and their homes, and they were saved. There was a sacrifice that was made. Blood was shed so that they could be saved from that death. Well, now we come to the book of Leviticus, And the focus of the book of Leviticus is worship. We are created to have a relationship with God. So when that fellowship with God is broken, we are incomplete. We need restoration. We long for God in completion. And apart from him, there is a hole. There is a hole in our heart. It's God-shaped. It can't be filled by any other created being, but only by God the Creator. This is a universal sentiment. Every culture, every society, every discovered There have always been that longing for immortality, that longing for righteousness and rightness, that longing for fulfillment, something that would give purpose and meaning to this life, significance that lifts our lives beyond just the mundane details of this existence. 
And all of that, of course, is found in God. He put eternity in our hearts, the Bible tells us. A wonderful author that I enjoy very much, his name is C.S. Lewis, Clive Staples Lewis, the British individual. He was a brilliant scholar, agnostic or atheistic for much of his life, converted later in life as an adult. He talked about the idea that the existence of thirst is very strong evidence for the existence of water. In the same way, the fact that we long and thirst for God, and universally so, it takes different shapes. Sometimes it has to do with a moral longing. Sometimes it has to do with immortality. Sometimes with pursuit of significance and transcendental quality to our life. It takes different forms, but there is that longing for that relationship with the Creator. And the fact that we universally experience that is actually, I believe, an evidence that He is there. Now, the book of Exodus talks about coming out of Egypt. It talks about redemption, regeneration, being reborn, a new beginning of a new nation here, the people of Israel. But now the book of Leviticus talks about now that we are free people, how do we live in a relationship with this holy God? And the, the key phrase is, you must be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. But how can an unholy people approach a holy God? Of course, the answer right here in the opening chapters is that sin must be dealt with. And so right away we see in Leviticus detailed instructions about sacrifices. And all of these sacrifices and bulls and grain and goats and sheep, they had to be perfect with no defect or bruises. And all of these are pictures foreshadowing the ultimate sacrifice of the Messiah, the Lamb of God, who would come and open the way to God by giving up his life as a final sacrifice for our sins in our place. So you see Leviticus is going to be a rich book for us as we learn to live now as free people. Now as we get on into the book of Leviticus, you may be tempted to dismiss Leviticus as the record of a number of bizarre rituals of a different age and a different people far away and long ago. But the practices made sense to the people of the day in their context and these offerings and these rituals of worship, they offer important insights for us today into God's nature and God's character and what he desires. The same God is ruling in our world today. It's a different time. It's a different era. It's a different phase in the redemptive plan. But we can learn much about God, particularly that God takes sin very seriously and that sin is very destructive and deadly. We'll keep our eye on all of these amazing things. The ceremonies, the rituals were the best way for the Israelites to focus their lives on God, and they'll help the us Bible too. Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Soapy reads from the New Living Translation by Kendall Hawk Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your prayers and financial support are needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to the Bible Live Post Office Box 18888. That's the Bible Live P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget, join us each weekday for the Bible Live with Soapy Dollars. Start today, and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word. 